Captain's Log, Stardate 73452.5. We have returned to Lone Star Station and have been made aware that Lieutenant Commander Christofferson has been transferred by Starfleet Command. It is good to have an old friend aboard the station, especially with the opportunity of him serving as my first officer, having gone so long without one. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to Constable Odo. The drop becomes the ocean. Hello and welcome back to another episode of These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain. I'm Captain Chase McKinney, and I have a first officer here with me. Hi. Hello there. Hello there. As you heard in our captain's log, we have Lieutenant Commander Eric Christofferson that is joining us here aboard the station. So we are so excited to have you aboard, Eric. Uh, you weren't you were here on the show not too long ago, and we got to catch up and talk Trek together. Yeah, it's good to be back. I'm glad that you welcomed me back. It's good to be back on the station. And for all of you out there, I just that listened to the podcast I was on last time. There's some audio issues with the last time. Don't blame Chase, blame me. But hopefully <laughs> we've got that figured out. I've got this new shiny microphone that I can use, and hopefully everything sounds better this time around. Yeah, it looks so fancy, too. I mean, like, looking at, at our little video conferencing thing that we're doing right now with our, um, you know, putting things on screen right now. It's It's got, like, this sweet arm and pop filter and everything. Like, you're, you're like, really moving on up, dude. Well, it looks just like yours, except your your camera is closer than mine is, so I can't see your boom arm and everything. Okay, okay. Well, um, anyways, um, you know, before we really dive in and start talking Trek, what's what's new with you, man? Uh, not much. I've just been, you know, I semester ended. I am a normally I'm a professor. Semester ended, so I've got some time off here. Mm-hmm. Just went and saw the new Star Wars movie today didn't like it but that's a thing for a different time to talk about okay yeah i saw it i saw it today also and um you're right that's that's a conversation for a different day i i mostly liked it i didn't hate it but um i mostly liked it so um we can we can have a conversation off the pod and talk about that or maybe we can record something separate and we can put that on the patreon account for our patrons to listen to uh, talking about something non-Trek related, of course. So. Yeah, because we could go down a whole road there, and I've got a lot of things to say, but you can't really talk about it today because it just came out. Right. Talk about it. you got to give people time to see. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, absolutely. I don't want to be that guy where, you know, we spoil stuff and anything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, good movie. For me, it was a good movie. Um I enjoyed it for what it was, um, but anyways, we'll keep on moving. Apart from that, like, um, like you were saying, like the semester ended for you and your your professor uh, teaching people math stuff. Um, yep, um, very technical um, term, of course. And uh, semester ended for me as well, and um, I didn't die, which is good. I was I was freaking out about statistics this semester, and I somehow managed to get by with an A. I'm pretty happy about that. Nice. I've taught statistics before. Okay. 
Yeah, SPSS is your friend if you can learn how to use it. I've just taught the basic, you know, undergrad statistics course. Nothing, nothing upper level and fancy like that. So we don't really get into a whole lot of programming stuff. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, and apart from that, like beyond school, um, just been spending time with family, uh, especially my mom. My mom's been in the hospital the last uh, uh, week, uh, about a week at the time of this recording, and uh, things aren't too good but i'm also remaining uh, hopeful and optimistic that things will turn around for her some way somehow um and you're and i think you've you've just recently traveled to see your mom and and your brother and and your, just your family in general down in uh was it like south central texas or something yeah i just drove down to san antonio yesterday from northern missouri it's about a 14 hour car trip so that's always fun yeah i remember you were talking uh, pre-show last time like man I'm almost there oh crap I'm in Texas I still got like seven hours left yeah you you <laughs> hit that red river you cross that red river and you're like yes I'm here but then you realize no 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 you're not no no really truly like seriously you are not there yet so anyway um, so again I'm, I'm happy to have you back and um you know that we're able to catch up and stuff uh since i mean it's been about a month um at the time of the recording since you were last on and uh, that there's been a lot of stuff that's happened in the world of trek uh for the most part and um just for those that have been listening uh, since the beginning you'll know that we uh we started the uh, trtv news segments as like we started out just doing it in the regular show and then we've kind of morphed and made it its own like weekly thing and um, had to take off um, the last two weeks because of family um, family issues on my end and taking care of mom uh, but those will be returning um, here next week um, there's a lot of, of news that's kind of been kind of making the rounds in terms of like show news the comic the upcoming Picard series um, but rather than talk about that, there's there's one that we were going to cover, um, and I think I'd put it on like our, all the socials, like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, with uh, Renee, uh, who played um, Odo. And uh, we could spend a lot of time um, talking about him, and I think we're going to. So this episode's probably going to have about a similar runtime as it normally is, maybe a little longer or a little shorter, just depending on how things go. Um, but uh, I'm probably going to butcher the name. Um, I did study French in college, so uh, looking at it, the way that it looks like it's pronounced would be René Aubergeois, but I know there's probably other folks that pronounce it differently. I feel like every time I've seen him talk about it, he pronounces it Aubergeois. Okay. So that's always the way I say it is Aubergeois. Okay. okay but, know you I... know, it's French, so who the hell knows? <laughs> True story. But yeah, just the, just the way it looks. like That's kind of how it sounds to me, just based on how it looks. But uh, regardless of how you pronounce it... Um, Rene, uh, fantastic actor. We know him primarily, at least the, in the folks in Trek primarily know him 
as playing uh, Constable or Security Chief Odo on Deep Space Nine, uh, which is a role that he originated and served in for the duration of of the show uh, when it came on the air in 1993, if I'm not mistaken. And um, there are folks that know him from other other shows, um, other characters that he's played. And uh, just kind of want to take the time, want to give ourselves enough uh, runway just to be able to talk about whatever we want to talk about today when it comes to Renee, like favorite moments, uh, both in Trek or out of Trek, um, things just in general. So um, without putting you too much on the spot, Eric, um, anything that kind of stands out to you about this particular actor, whether it's in Trek or out of Trek? Well, the other, he's known as Odo, but you can also find him. He was on... uh... The practice, and then he carried that role over to Boston Legal, and he was on Boston Legal for the entire runtime, along with William Shatner. Right? William Shatner was the main character of Boston Legal. Right. So you had the two Trek actors. I don't want to say reunited because they were never together on Star Trek, but sure, reunited in a in a certain sense. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was reading about that because I actually I never watched Boston Legal. Uh, but I knew that, but I knew that that um, Shatner was on there. And it, truth be told, it wasn't until um, Renee's death that I really became aware of what was going on, or, or, or that he. Or I was became I'm sorry. I became more aware that he was on that particular show. Um, in fact, one thing that kind of surprised me was, gosh, I want to say maybe six months ago. I feel like kind of an idiot for this. But like six months ago is when I like I was looking through like The Little Mermaid because my daughter was like watching it and I was just like looking up up stuff about it and I'm like holy cow he was the chef in The Little Mermaid yeah he just does the ha yeah yeah I mean yeah that's that yeah, like the quintessential stereo stereotypical you know French chef or whatever so anyway. <clears throat> but but apart from apart from that, um, you know, you were you were talking um, last time that even though and we're in today's show is about Star Trek Voyager and we'll get to that here in a little while, that that was your your um, original kind of baptism of sorts into Trek to a certain extent, but that Deep Space Nine was your favorite show, so knowing that that ds9 was your favorite show were there are there any particular odo moments that kind of stand out to you um like specifically at all or just or anything like that i know that it's maybe not a standout episode but after the pilot episode and i know we mentioned this and this is kind of like the accepted fact is that season one of deep space nine is pretty not good right it's horrible it's almost it's, it's unwatchable. not it's it's not good like i'll <laughs> say that it's season one is not good but i feel like the pilot episode is very good and then there's at the second episode right after that i feel like is also a pretty decent episode and that's an odo centric episode so you have the pilot episode and then the next episode after that is an odo centric episode and it's called A Man Apart. And it's kind of sets up this whole solids versus changelings 
before we even really know that that's what Deep Space Nine is going to be about, right? A group of people like become suspicious of Odo because he's not like them and he's a changeling. And that's the very first episode after the pilot episode. So you already get this idea that they know they have this good character and they have this good actor there to use. Right. And I just really, I like the fact, I think one of your guests, um, when you talked about Deep Space Nine, she also mentioned the fact that she really liked the character Odo. It was, I think it was her favorite character because he's not your genius level character like Spock or Data. Right. And I think that's a pretty good representation of this Odo character is that he is kind of just like us in a certain sense. And he's definitely shown to be fallible. And I think that's one thing that Deep Space Nine does really well as a show, where I think some of the other shows kind of portray your Starfleet characters. And I know Odo's not a Starfleet character, but it kind of portrays all of your characters as not infallible, right? Right. Where I, but I feel like Deep Space Nine shows your characters and shows really goes out of your way to highlight their flaws. And Odo's flaws are highlighted throughout the entire show. Yeah. I feel like there's a couple of good episodes. Um, I'm looking up, I'm looking up here. I just want to get the, the seasons right. I know the episodes, I just want to get the seasons right. There's an episode in season two. It's called Necessary Evil. This is a flashback episode. There's a couple of these good flashback episodes with Odo where you go back to his time when Deep Space Nine is Terok Nor under the Cardassians right. and he's in charge of security. So there's this one called Necessary Evil where this is the one where he gets appointed as the constable. Right? And it's a good Kira-centric episode, like the two. Like Odo and Kira playing off of each other even all the way back in season two. It's just a fantastic episode. And then... The other episode, it's a good flashback episode. It's in season five. It's called Things Past, where you go back and we see... This is where you really highlight the flaw of this Odo character, where he a bu- uh, several Bajorans are killed as like because he finds evidence that they're guilty of committing a crime, but then you find out that they really weren't guilty. And so I think it's really interesting that that you see this character and you can relate to him because he is flawed just like all the rest of us whereas mm-hmm. a lot of star a lot of star trek characters are portrayed as being infallible right and i think that was like kind of the point to a certain extent when it came to deep space 9 was that there was more of these flaws that were evident with the characters i think that was part of what um, the creative team was specifically doing with that show so I, I, yeah, I, I can agree with that. And you know, you're you're talking about some of these episodes that kind of highlight these moments with Odo. Um, I don't know if these the, the episodes I'm going to mention, and I'm probably not going to remember all their names um, off the top of my head because I'm not as familiar with Deep Space Nine or even Voyager. So just putting that disclaimer out there. But the Ascent uh, is one of my favorite. Um, Odo episodes. It's where him and Quark um, crash with a runabout and they have to kind of get up a mountain 
to right, with, with, Odo a, with a transmitter. Can't shape, Odo can't shapeshift, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know that episode. Um, then there's another one. It's more of a Jadzia episode, but it's when the um, there was she has to confront or go through um, with seeing her past selves. And each of the main cast kind of take on a, or represent an old personality of Jadzia's, of the Dak symbiote, I should say. Yeah, and he takes on Curzon Dak. Yes, yes. 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 So I really liked that one, mainly because it gave the actor, gave Renee, like, a little bit of room to breathe beyond just the shape-shifting character we got to see his his acting chops just go a little bit further at least that was my my experience of it um and i mean there there are a lot of good odo episodes there's just a lot of good episodes in deep space nine period um i but i I really enjoyed and i said it last time but far beyond the stars i think that's a popular episode with any deep space nine fan to a certain extent. Now, I know not everyone's crazy about it, but I really liked his portrayal of the manager. Um, yeah, the magazine editor, thank you, um, in, in, in how that was. So again, getting him out of the changeling role and just getting him to kind of like flex his, his acting chops. Oh yeah, I would agree with that totally. I think he's a fantastic actor and just to get to see him break out of that range, it was it's really nice to watch. Right. Now, since we're talking about... And I know I just... Um, I was watching uh, some special features. This was like 10 years ago. And I, this sticks out to me. It was an interview with Ira Stephen Bayer, who is was the showrunner for Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. And he said, conceptually, when they were creating Deep Space Nine, they were looking for this constable character to be in the mold of Clint Eastwood type. And they, the studio was really pushing them to hire Renee. And Iris Stephen Bear was just like, I can't see it. I can't see him as this Clint Eastwood, gruff, sheriff, western type. And I feel like he kind of nailed that. I would agree. I would agree. And, um... He, you know, does, uh, that, he does that gruff so well. Yeah, and you see, and you see it like just get that much better as the seasons go on. But there's still that hint of like that teddy bear that kind of comes out at just the right time to where he's not just always this gruff, like cold jerk that you kind of maybe think he is in the first season. Oh yeah, there's lots of good moments where he um, he becomes emotionally vulnerable. There's the episode, I believe it's in season one, where he and Luaxana Troy get stuck in an elevator or a turbo lift. Right, and I think Lisa and I were talking about that too. I get that was like one of, I think that was one of her favorite uh, moments was, or, or, or something like that. It was just a memorable moment. Period, where there's this vulnerability that's going on between the two characters that you really don't ever see when it comes to Loaxana. I mean, you get like maybe one or two moments in Next Gen, but that was just a really telling point in her character development when they were trapped together and Odo 
had to go into his liquid form, otherwise bad things would have happened to him. Yeah, and I feel like Odo and Loaxana really develop a good bond over the course of the show. You know, she yes. doesn't come back as much in Deep Space Nine as she did in the next generation, but when she comes back, I feel like there's some really good moments. Yes, yes. Another one with her that comes to mind is she comes back in an episode where she is um, pregnant with um, I, I don't can't tell you the race because there's too many races to remember but it's basically a race of beings that separate boys and girls from each other and they don't even let the other the other, one gender know about the other until they're like 16 or something right and so Luaxan is pregnant with this child from somebody from this race and she doesn't want to like give she knows she's having a son and she doesn't want to give it up so Odo comes in there and says, um, to help you save your son, by law of this species, the the child belongs to the mother's husband. So he gets up there and pretends to like proclaim his real feelings for Loaxana. And the whole time you're wondering, well, is he just acting or does he really have these true feelings for her? And it's a great moment for the Odo character and the actor Renee to really shine. Absolutely. And, you know, we're kind of talking about like the romantic part, like right now. Um, this is kind of a spoiler for anyone that's never seen deep space nine, but there's some, some tension and some development that happens between the character of Odo and, uh, Kira, major Kira. Um, any any thoughts on that and and just the choices that they made with that? Did you like it? Did you not like it? Or were you just kind of indifferent about that relationship? Well, I liked it early on, especially when you find out that the only reason Odo is staying behind is because of Kira. But there's a moment where we learn that he would have went and once he once he learns about the Great Link and who his people are, where we learn that he would have returned to the Great Link had it not been for Kira, and she's the reason that he's staying behind. Mm -hmm. Now, their actual courtship, uh, I could have taken her to leave in it. I didn't, didn't do a whole lot for me. It didn't take away from anything for me. But I certainly love the moment at the end in the finale, right? I've, I said this on the last podcast we were on, that... The series finale of Deep Space Nine, it's called What You Leave Behind, is right. my favorite episode of Star Trek, period. I think mm -hmm. it's just a damn near perfect episode. And the goodbye that they have between each other is really, really nice. I like that, where Odo returns to the Great Link because he's going to heal them and save them from the disease that's spreading. And he tells Kira, I'm not coming back. And then he morphs into a tuxedo. And it's just a really nice moment. Yeah. The, the drop becomes the ocean at that point. Yeah. And the, you know, when it comes to, to what you leave behind, great, great finale. Love the finale. And I, I, like, I still felt a little bit of tension. And I, I, I don't know if I if I really wanted it to be different or if I still want it to be different, but just the way that things end 
with Quark and and Odo at the end. Uh, I was just I was hoping for a little bit, maybe something different. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like you mentioned the ascent, the episode, of the ascent. Yes. And that's that's like Quark and Odo really have to work together, and you definitely see in that what you leave behind that they definitely have a respect for each other. They do. And I like it. I like it. Yeah, they they definitely do. It's I don't know, you just go 7 years with with the characters and I don't know, I just maybe I just thought there would have been a little bit something different. I mean, it was it was more of just like a gruff like kind of like he always does. But I don't know. I don't even know if I'm making sense. Well, I think I know what you're saying, and and this just reminds me of a, a Battlestar Galactica episode. If and we could talk about this because Battlestar Galactica was created by Ronald D. E. Moore, who was originally got his start on Star Trek, the writer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an episode toward the end of Battlestar Galactica where the Doctor on that show, Doc Cottle, is like a a gruff Odo type character who's always grumbling and and has no has no patience for people. And at the end, the the president says to him, "You've always been so kind and so warming to me, and I you've been a true like good friend this whole time." And he's left kind of speechless. And she's like, "No, no, no, no! Don't ruin the moment. Just light a cigarette, grumble under your breath, and walk away." <laughs> oh lordy! And I feel like that's that's the way Quark and Odo's relationship needed to end, right? Just a gruff, you know, don't ruin it just leave it there and walk away from each other. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, um, just taking a quick pause uh, from what we're talking about right now, I wanted to read at least uh, one comment that was posted on the Facebook group. Uh, I was asking uh, the, the folks on the group, so if you're not, if you're not in the group and you're listening, uh, make sure you head over to Facebook and join it. Just look for These Are The Voyages. Um, if you find the page, then you found the group. You just hit the join the group button, and boom, there you are. Um, this we we asked this question, um, or we we posed this and said that you know we're working on an episode of, um, concerning Renee and talking about like favorite moments or just something in general about him. And Amanda Ryan, uh, shout out to you, Amanda, um, just left this comment saying, you know, it's weird, but what I actually know him best from is the narrator of the Pendergast series by Preston Child. Uh, the man had an amazing voice. So, have you ever seen Pendergast? No, I've never even heard of this. I'm not sure what it is. Neither neither am I, but that's okay. But he is a, he does have um, a prolific uh, voice acting like career uh, um, in its own right. So, uh, no, I know, I know, I I know that he's done some voice work. Correct me if I'm wrong. This could be throwing this out there. Now that you just mentioned voice work, it just came back to me. Do you ever remember watching a show from like the early '90s called Pirates of Dark Water? It sounds vaguely familiar. Well, I'm fairly certain Rene Obajuan or Obergeois, whatever. Okay. We'll get it. We'll get. We'll settle on something. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was one of the main voices on that show. Now that it just came to me when she mentioned voice work. Okay. And I I remember liking that show. I mean, I had no idea who he was at the time, but I'm pretty sure he was on that show. 
So just um, just to name off um, some of his uh, uh, voice performances, both in film and television, um, we talked about this just not too long ago. The Little Mermaid. He was the chef. Um, he was also in the follow-up um, direct to to um, video Little Mermaid two, but he was also in an American Tale. Um, he was in Joseph, King of Dreams. Um, wait, wait. He was in American Tale with Fievel? So an American... I'm sorry. This was in 2000. So an American Tale, The Treasure of Manhattan Island. So it had to have been like probably the second or third one, I think. Okay. I remember, man, really liking the Fievel. Yeah. American Tale. He was in uh, Tarzan and Jane, which was probably another uh, direct-to-video kind of thing. Uh, Planes, Fire and Rescue, which was a Disney movie, I think, uh, like a Disney Junior type movie that might have come out. But um, apart from that, um, The Smurfs, he was in uh, Snorks, DuckTales, Superman, Batman, the animated series, the uh, original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon show, um, the... He was in Juman. Oh, uh, the TV show Jumanji, Extreme Ghostbusters. There was apparently. I had no idea. Extreme Ghostbusters, Men in Black, the TV show, The Wild Thornberries, um, Shaolin Showdown, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Yeah, I remember he was in one episode of that. Yeah. Uh, Duck Dodgers, Archer, Young Justice, Ben Ten, Omniverse. Um, Avengers Assemble. There, more. I've skipped through these, but he's he's had a very prolific career, both in front of the camera, behind the camera, in terms of like regular acting and voice acting. I mean, they're both acting in their own right. They're both to be respected. But I mean, this guy's got some some major talent. And then apart from just that, I mean, there's also the voice roles that he's done when it comes to like video games as well. So, I mean, certainly he was on, he, he reprised his role as Odo on Star Trek Online, but he was also in the different Uncharted video games. I think um, Uncharted 2 and 3, if, for anyone that's, that plays that on PlayStation, I love the Uncharted series. If you've never played it and you have a PlayStation, you're missing out. You need to get that game and play it. Isn't that like kind of like an Indiana Jones type game? You're darn I don't play right vi- it is. I don't play video games ever, so I don't know. Yeah, Uncharted is an amazing series, and like, I wasted a lot of time on that game. But it's, it's a, it's a fantastic story. In fact, I'll just say this: Uncharted Two is my favorite of the Uncharted series, followed in second place by Uncharted Four. So, anyway, that's that's a different rabbit trail altogether. But this guy, crazy talented. You've probably, if you haven't seen him. If you if this is your first time with anything Star Trek, you've probably heard him elsewhere beyond Star Trek, either in a cartoon or a video game. So that was a major rabbit trail, but I'm okay with it. No, it's good. To, you're just celebrating his life and his work, and acknowledging all the good things that he's done. Right, and for for any of the um, the listeners that are going to be a little older than Eric and I. Um, and Eric, I've seen it. I've seen bits and pieces. I wasn't like really into the show too much, but he was also in the show Mash. Did you ever watch Mash by chance? 
I've seen a couple episodes of MASH. I'm actually a bigger fan of MASH the movie than okay. MASH the TV. I know that's, like, sacrilege, but How MASH the movie you? MASH the movie is pretty fantastic. Okay. You know, Robert, Alt- Robert Altman directed it, and it's got Donald Sutherland as Hawkeye. Okay. It's it's a it's a different tone. It's a much more like black comedy the movie. But okay. I've I've only seen a handful of episodes of Mash the TV show. I had no idea that Renee Renee was there. Yeah, he was um, Father uh, Mulcahy in Mash. So back in the 1970s. So this guy's been been doing this thing for quite a while, quite a while. So. Um, Anyway, I know that there are other folks on the group that have met him, that have interacted with him. Did you ever him. meet him? No, I never got the chance to. And here's the thing that sucks, too, is, uh, and I might have mentioned this before, but Aaron Eisenberg um, and Renee um, are the two, The apart from, like, you know, um, Terry Farrell and... Avery Brooks and like the other cast members, I really wanted to meet um, Aaron Eisenberg and Renee, and they're no longer with us. And it's just, it seems like 2019, as we kind of start to wrap this year up, you know, that we've just, we've lost some, some heavy hitters when it comes to Star Trek. Um, we got, who was it? Um, we got Nog, of course, Aaron Eisenberg, um, certainly Renee. Um, Aubergineois with uh, Odo and Colonel West. Apart from Odo, he was also Colonel West in um, in the Undiscovered Country. He was also on one episode of Enterprise. Enterprise. Yes, in season late in season one, he yes. has a guest spot on Enterprise. Yes. Um, and then we lost um, Dorothy DC Fontana uh, not too long ago as well. And there's one other I'm forgetting. Uh, but he played a Charlie X, I believe, in the original series. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And we also lost another guest actor. Um, can't remember his name, but he was uh, um, he was in an episode of the original series, just one episode. He was, it was uh, I think the episode called called Miri from okay. season one or season two, where he's one of the main guest actors in there. I forget that actor's name. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's this has been this has been a tough year for the Trek fandom just in general. Um, so we could let's let's just do this. So you know, knowing that we've we've lost some some of these favorite people, we could or not these favorite these just these people in general, whether they are favorites or not, just these Trek alums, these Trek creators um is there anything that kind of maybe stands out to you about Aaron or DC or we've been talking about Renee but also Renee that you might want to highlight at this point in the show well with DC Fontana like she had to go by the name DC right? right they weren't allowed she wasn't they weren't allowed to use her real name Dorothy because Dorothy's a woman Right and DC, you have no idea who that is. Right. And back in the '60s, the studio wouldn't accept women working on being head writers for a major TV show like this. Mm-hmm. 
And so I think I look at how far we've come since then. And there's a great Deep Space Nine episode. You even mentioned it earlier, Far Beyond the Stars. Right. Right, which highlight which we highlighted Odo. Well, in that episode, the Kira alter ego, she plays a female science fiction writer who has to go by her initials. And that's in there because that's what DC Fontana had to do. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that I, I had tried highlighting in a recent uh, TRTV News episode was the fact, when I was talking about uh, DC Fontana, is the fact that uh, I think it was Gene Roddenberry's idea to say, hey, why don't you go by your initials because the producers are kind of sexist. Well, Gene Roddenberry told, him, told her that. I wasn't aware yes. of that. That's... I mean, just kind of reading around and kind of gathering as much information as I could regarding that, that seems to be the general consensus of how that kind of came about. And the fact that she became as well-respected as she did um, and that she rose in her prominence and her leadership and in her influence is just absolutely amazing. And, and, she, and of course, she penned um, or co co-wrote um the pilot for star trek the next generation of course yeah i was just going to mention that she actually wrote encounter at far point mm-hmm. right? Te- technically she co-wrote it because gene roddenberry stepped in at the last moment and told a lie that basically the studio said that he had to write the episode which was totally not true that's so that's why you kind of get this this weird pilot episode of the next generation that you can tell it wasn't written together. There's like two really distinct pieces, like the mystery of Farpoint Station, which is what DC Fontana wrote, and then the right. whole Q part, which is what Gene Roddenberry wrote. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And it really does. You can you can tell that those two storylines were not written together. I mean, I can tell. You know. You know. You know now, now that you pointed point it out, out, I can, can kind, kind of kind of see, see what, what you mean. mean yeah. 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 yeah, 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 I can, I can, I can see, see that. that. And, and I would, would have honestly had you not said that, you know, and I just, if I would have known that, like, that they were putting like two spots like that, I would have thought that DC probably would have uh, written the Q stuff and that Roddenberry would have written the the space the space station stuff for, for whatever reason. Yeah, other way around. Yeah, totally the other way around. So, um. Anyway, so that those, I guess those are just some some moments that we can kind of hang out with and just, you know, you know, enjoy and and pay homage to um, to all those uh, all those actors, especially Renee, as we've spent a good chunk of time. We spent a good forty minutes of this show already just talking about him specifically and what he's done. Uh, for for the fandom for for the franchise in general so any any parting thoughts or ideas as it relates to renee before we kind of segue into the the meat of this episode no but uh the one other person there that we didn't give enough talk to was aaron eisenberg played nog that's what he's most familiar with but he also um played another role in Star Trek. I, I believe it's the only other Star Trek role he played. It was a the, the primary guest spot on an episode of Star Trek Voyager. And I know that that's what we're planning on talking about on this podcast. 
Yes. So I'll I'll wait and I'll bring it up then. But it's definitely a big Aaron Eisenberg moment in Star Trek Voyager. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, he was one of the uh, Kazon, if I'm not mistaken, in in, an early, in one of the earlier episodes of Star Trek Voyager, and uh, Kazon being the. I've got a show. lot to say about the Kazon. All right. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. So, um, with the the Kazon, the Ocampas, the all that stuff, we'll, we're going to get into that, um, and certainly talking about him since he would since that stuff was more or less going on at the same time, like bouncing from one set to the next um, as we bolt continue to boldly go and make it so together. So, um, so with that being said, let's go ahead and let's kind of segue into talking about this journey that the crew of the USS Voyager uh, made over the course of seven years. Now, before we get into this, um, for those of you that are listening, um, what we're kind of doing, just to kind of give you a little sampling of stuff, is we're more or less looking at the main shows from like a 50,000 foot view, and we might kind of come in here and there and go down to like a 30,000 or a 10,000 foot view. But eventually, we are going to to go into more like ship design and and like specific characters and comparing characters in future episodes. So this is kind of like an orientation thing at first, not to take you out of the show too much. Um, but I know some of you might have some questions of like where where's the show going? So that's kind of the method to the madness at this point in the game until um, Eric and I uh, maybe talk some more and. Um, especially hearing from you guys and what you guys are wanting to hear more from. So that being said, uh, last time Eric was on, um, he and like I said at the beginning of the show, this was a show that you had watched on the regular uh, from 93, uh, I'm sorry, 95 to 2001 when it was on the air, leading right up to our show that we watched together, which was 24. So we've heard some of that that you were dedicated to to watching it and that that's what you wanted for your birthday at one point was just to watch voyager i think um so with that let's just talk voyager now there was originally a different captain in the center chair on this show and um this particular captain um i think they were just removed at the very last second i think the original pilot or the pilot had started to be filmed, and then they were let go, and then um, Kate had to come in and just take over. Yeah, the original actor, uh, Jean-Via Bujold, another French person, and I believe the the name was different. It was Janeway, but it wasn't Catherine Janeway. It was something else. I right. Mean, I could be mistaken. I could be mistaken about that. But yeah, they actually filmed the entire pilot episode. I'm fairly certain. And if I've seen the on YouTube, people have found done side by side shots, right where you can see the scene with the original actor, and then with Kate Mulgrew, and mm-hmm. they're very similar. There's a little bit of difference. There's even a few scenes that um, that are in the final pilot episode that have the original actor in it when they're like just showing their hands and they're looking at some screens and things like that so it's interesting you can go back and you can look these things up on youtube and you can find where there's actually a different actor not 
Kate Mulgrew. Right, right, I'm trying, I'm trying to, to find and confirm, and confirm the, uh, the, the name. name. So, so anyone, anyone that's, that's listening, listening, you're, you're probably, probably screaming, screaming at us right, right now. now. Like, no, no it's, it's, I know, I know what, what it is. is. You can only you just, just hear, hear me. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jean-Fia Bujold was the actress. And I'm fairly certain it was not Catherine Janeway, but it was something else Janeway. Right. Um, so Kate Mulgrew, um, being of Irish descent... Um, I'm pretty sure part of what she wanted was to change the name to reflect more of her own um, Irish heritage. So that's that's where the genesis of, or I'm sorry, not even genesis, but just the, the impetus for for changing the name came from was wanting wanting a piece of herself in there and reflecting her heritage. So that's where the whole Captain Catherine Janeway come from. Not just because it was Kate's name. But because of that. Yeah, I just found it. Nicole Janeway. Nicole, okay. That would have been weird. Yeah, I think Catherine Janeway just sounds right. It rolls. But, I mean, we're, it just flows we're coming so at that easier. with, you know, almost 25 years of being Catherine Janeway. True story. True story. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, def- I mean, I, I definitely like Catherine way more than Nicole. I mean, Nicole Nicole Janeway just sounds weird. And if there is a Nicole Janeway listening to this podcast, I'm sorry. No no malice or anything <laughs> towards your name. It just it's just weird. It, it like you know, you're you're used to it for 25 years like you've been saying of just hearing, you know, Captain Catherine Janeway of the USS Voyager on every single episode. Yeah, well, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be totally wrong about this, but Picard's name wasn't originally Jean-Luc Picard. It was something different in the original script. I think, actually, I do think it was always Jean-Luc Picard, if I'm not mistaken. And once, I think Patrick Stewart was like the one of the last choices for the cap, that role of the captain on Next Gen. And they had seriously thought about changing the name, but then they're like, eh, whatever. Okay, I... Yeah, I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I thought I had heard that at some point. So, you know, something that's interesting about this show um, that is very Star Trek is learning to work together through differences. I think that's like that's like one of the primary um, ingredients, it would seem, with most Trek shows, especially when it comes to true 90s trick so like when i say true 90s trick i'm talking specifically deep space nine and voyager because yeah next gen was was mostly in the 90s but it originated in the 80s and we had Worf, who was the outsider we always seem to have an outsider character in star trek shows um but really focusing on our differences specifically and how do we work together with um like how um, how we had Starfleet and the Bajoran militia in Deep Space Nine, and now we have on um, Star Trek Voyager we have Starfleet and the Maquis um, having to work together. Right, and the Maquis storyline it, it plays a big role in season one and then into season two, but then they kind of drop it and it becomes almost not important. It's, it pops up in a few episodes here and there, 
but it really kind of just gets almost dropped. They don't retcon it by any means, uh, but yeah, they don't prioritize it as much. And the thing that, that I think is really neat is you see the struggle. Like, they're on the struggle bus for... I mean, they're on the struggle bus for 70 years, more or less. But, I mean, they're, they're really on the struggle bus when it comes to... Okay, like, half the ship or a good chunk of the ship's crew is gone. We have these terrorists, these... These people, like, that are against our values, but we're stuck together. How do we work together? And then, like having to bring people together yeah and i think that that's really addressed in the first two episodes so Mm -hmm. the pilot episode at the very end she names chakotay her first officer right because he has starfleet experience he was in starfleet before he left to join the maquis right right and then at the very end the very last thing she says is we're going to be one crew an integrated crew we're going to be a Starfleet crew. And that's essentially the very last line. I'm pretty sure she says, like, set course for home is the last line. But yeah, that plays an important role there at the end of that first episode. And then in the second episode, um, there's an A line, which is not that interesting. The A story in the second episode is not that interesting. The B story is really the interesting story in that second episode, which is about how are these Maquis crewmen going to fit in to this command structure, right? Uh, one of the keys is Belana Torres, right? Chicote says, hey, the chief engineer died in the caretaker incident. I want Belana Torres to be the chief engineer of this ship. I think she's the most qualified. And Janeway says, that angry Klingon woman? No way. I'm going to let my man carry <laughs> My man Carrie be the chief engineer. And Chicote is really adamant. No, this can't be. Right. And and he pushes back against Janeway. And I think you get to see Chicote be a better character here than he ever is later on in the show when he's really pushing back and he's fighting for his Maquis crew members. Mm-hmm. And he says at one point, he says, I have no interest in being your token Maquis officer on board this ship. Right, you have to let some of my other Maquis people be officers on this ship, and yeah. eventually, then Belana Torres proves her worth, and the B story gets joined with the A storyline in that episode. Yes, yeah. And I just really like the way Chakotay stands up to her out there at the end and says, "I have no interest in being your token Maquis officer here." Like, if we really want to be an integrated crew, then you have to be open to letting my people be important members of this crew. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also the episode where we meet Seska. We can talk Uh, about Seska. (laughs) We have to. Yeah, you cannot talk about Star Trek Voyager without talking about Seska. All right. (laughs) We'll get to her in a minute. Um, so while we're, I would argue outside of the main cast, she's the most important character outside of all the principals. Okay. Okay. And she, in her role was, um, for a few, like a, gosh, like about two ish seasons, I think. 
Yeah, she's there for the first two seasons, yeah. And then she kind of comes back there for for a second. You uh, like a holodeck incident and then yeah. like a time a time warp incident. Right. Let's do the time warp again. <laughs> I'll I'll put that in post or something. I don't know. Um so so in this like the first the first episode we are introduced to the issue um, of what basically what their new mission is going to be. We're also introduced to um, the Delta Quadrant like properly. So the the, fir- the the main shows up to this point have primarily focused on the Alpha Quadrant and some of the the Beta Quadrant. Well, uh, well, if you actually look at the star the Star Trek maps, like they made like official Star Trek maps. Yeah. Like Earth is right on the dividing line between the Alpha Quadrant and the Beta Quadrant, and like the Klingon Empire and the Romulan Empire are in the Alpha Quadrant, but like Deep Space Nine and the Cardassia, those are in the Beta Quadrant, according to the official Star Trek maps. Right, right, and so yeah, we've we've been we've been exposed more to Alpha and Beta Quadrants, and Deep Space Nine really started to focus more on Gamma Quadrant, and then, of course, with Voyager, spoilers guys, um, being stranded in the Delta Quadrant, we're getting this whole new new world that we're being exposed to, uh, like with all the alien races and the planets uh, and the crew having to navigate and get back home via the Delta Quadrant. So, you know, we, I think the probably the main more popular um, exposure to the Delta Quadrant came with uh, the Borg. So um, around, I think it was like middle to end of season two of Next Gen was uh, Q Who, if I'm not mistaken, whenever it was introduced. Um, And then of course, properly end of season three and into season four of the Next Gen series. So we got, we got like a little sampling, but now we're, we're in it like for the main course when it comes to Star Trek Voyager. Yep, we go to the Delta Quadrant and and I think the the idea behind that is, you know, we can't keep introducing new races in the Alpha Quadrant and the Beta Quadrant, right? We've been exploring here for so long, we need somewhere new to explore and we need right. to introduce new alien species. We can't keep doing Klingons and Romulans and Cardassians, right? We need new species and by transporting your ship to the other side of the galaxy you can introduce all of these new species and you can create fresh and new storylines yes absolutely so so we as i was saying like you know they're now stranded in the delta quadrant so that's there it gives the writers plenty of room to explore and create and do creative things um that Star Trek hadn't seen uh, up to this point to a certain extent. And as a result of that, the Delta Quad, the first Delta Quadrant type aliens that we're meeting are going to be Kess and Neelix, um, who become uh, principal members of the crew. Um, I believe Neelix becomes um, the ambassador slash cook of, of the ship and, um, Yeah, he he you know he came up with like different titles throughout the show. I remember ambassador at one point. 
but yes, morale, morale, cook, and whatever else he came up with, depending on the episode. And then Kess, of course, um, becomes an apprentice of the EMH doctor. And we'll talk about the doctor and the EMH, or the doctor and Kess here a little bit later on. Um, but of course, like you were saying, there's Seska. So I'm going to let you quarterback this one and talk about about Seska as much as you want to. Okay, so I, I we're not going in the order I was looking at, but okay, so Seska she gets. Well, well you know in. what? We can we can back up. We can go no, wherever no, you want. No, no, no. You cheat You cheat. You cheat up Seska here. Let's talk about <laughs> Seska. Um, Martha Hackett. Martha Hackett is the actress, and she'd been on uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. She did a guest spot as a Romulan in the episode "The Search," which is a really good, really important Deep Space Nine episode. So she shows up in episode two of season one as Seska, the love interest of Chakotay. They had a relationship. I don't know if they are still in a relationship at this point, but they had been in a relationship previous. Right. And Seska is a what? She's a Bajoran, right? Yes. Bajoran. Yes. You couldn't see me do air quotes, but I said she's a Bajoran with air quotes. Um, and she's just an engineer on the ship, right? She's part of the engineering team. And eventually we learn that Seska is not really a Bajoran, but she's a Cardassian. And she was surgically altered to appear Bajoran to infiltrate the Maquis. Right? <gasps> and Oh my gosh. Oh my god, I know. Major spoilers. This is big spoilers. But I, like I said, this is 25 years ago, and I feel like the statute of limitations on spoilers has expired. And you know about statute of limitations. You know about stat. I'm just saying, with your mom being an attorney and everything. Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, so turns out Seska is really a Cardassian. She was sent to spy on the Maquis, and. Uh, what she does is she makes a pact with the Kazon, right, to try and steal technology from Voyager because in the pilot episode we see that Captain Janeway is reluctant to give technology to the Kazon because the Kazon, um, they really don't get along with themselves or other races. And so giving the Kazon any type of technology. Janeway feels is a real balance of shift in the balance of power, which is why she has to destroy the caretaker array, which leaves them stranded there. So Seska makes a deal with one of the Majes. That's like the name, the title of one of the leaders of the Kazon sex. And she steals technology from Voyager to give to the Kazon. And eventually she's found out and she ends up leaving Voyager to openly join the Kazon and openly become Cardassian again. And she becomes the primary antagonist for the first two seasons of the show. And say what you will about the Kazon, you cannot talk about Star Trek Voyager without talking about the Kazon. Right? They yes. are the primary antagonists for the first two seasons. Like I know lots of people don't like them. Right? Lots of people don't like that. I'm not the biggest fan of them. I don't think they're as terrible as everyone else thinks they are. But the simple fact is that you cannot talk about Voyager 
without talking about the Kazon. True, and you know, just like any apart from apart from Kazon and and stuff, you know, I don't think things are as bad period as people make them out to be regardless of the fandom. You know, whether that's Star Trek like what we're talking about or Star Wars or Doctor Who or Battlestar or Stargate SG-1 or anything like that. You know, people like what they like and that's cool. Um, I, like you were talking about the Kazon, I never really saw an issue with the Kazon. They were just annoying to me, like, to a certain extent. And I definitely was getting, like, the intimidation vibes and, and all the stuff, you know, as we were going episode by episode with them, you know, thinking, oh, crap, the Kazon are about to show up and stuff's about to hit the fan. So... I thought it was good for the time that they were on the show. And my personal opinion is that if they would have stayed on longer than like a season three or four type of thing, I really do feel like the, the, the adversarial stuff with them would have grown stale. And no, no, I agree. I, the show outgrew the Kazon and had to move past them. They couldn't, yeah continue to be a recurring antagonist the same way that the Klingons and the Romulans were recurring antagonists. The show had to move past them. And, and you, know, you know, even, even, even logistically, logistically speaking, speaking, I'm not I'm talking, talking like, from, like, from, like, from like a writing, writing standpoint. standpoint. I'm, I'm just, just talking, talking like, like within, within the universe, the universe of, Star of Star Trek. Trek. You know, you where, know where they, they end, end up, up is, is on like the, the far side or we believe to be the far side of the Delta Quadrant. So, so with, with them, them constantly moving, moving forward, forward they're, they're going, going to, get to get farther and farther, farther, farther away, away from, from the Kazon, Kazon population. population. At least that's, At least my, that's my head cannon. So they're moving out of Kazon territory. Yeah. So, so like they have sense. to leave them behind. Yeah. Yeah. They have to leave. It wouldn't make sense for them to consistently be popping up. They they had to go away. Period. Right, that's true, and I think that that's true of all of the alien races that Voyager encountered in the Delta Quadrant. As you continue this path, moving through the Delta Quadrant back toward Federation space, you know, you're going to ap- approach a species territory, and then you're going to move past them. And at a certain point, you have to leave that race behind. Right. And, and you definitely see that with original Star Trek and the next generation because they're just zipping around all over wherever they're at and you might you might see them again just because you're you're zipping around and the story might you know necessitate something like that and then of course with deep space nine it's like the problems are coming to us but we might go to the problem now that we have the defiant and we're going through um through the wormhole but yeah i mean i don't want to talk in circles about this but yes Absolutely, there has to be that growth. There has to be that moving away, especially moving the narrative along. And I think the, and if I'm jumping around, just put a leash on me or something, dude. But um, whenever we're talking about later seasons of Voyager, when um, species um, eight four seven two and the Borg are involved, that you can you kind of have to expect that they can show up at any time like with these trans warp um, corridors and stuff like that, that they're using to get around the galaxy. So from a, from a story standpoint, it makes sense that the board can pop up 
at any time, anywhere, for the most part. I agree with that, and we're going to talk about the Borg a lot, right? Um, but I feel like I don't want to say anything about the Borg just quite yet until we've actually gotten to that point. Sure. Because I've got a lot to say about the Borg. Okay. But I think your point is definitely valid. So with that, we've kind of jumped around, and that's partly my fault. I'm okay with that. So why don't you kind of steer us um, or or give the order of where we're going next and what you want to talk about and focus on for this part of the show? Okay, well, let's talk about season one. Start from the beginning, which we've kind of already said a few things about some of these sure. episodes in here that I think are important. But let's start right at the beginning. And this is kind of apropos, I guess, because today is the day that the final Star Wars movie came out. We're recording this the day that Rise of Skywalker came out. And if you go to the pilot episode of Voyager, like you can turn this on as you're listening to this or right after you listen to this and just just play the very beginning of the pilot episode is that not a star wars opening pretty much i mean how does how does star wars start it starts with this screen crawl where this these words move up across the yep. screen setting yep. up the situation when the words are gone ships fly from across the screen and most of the time they start shooting back and forth at each other. Yeah. And that is literally how Star Trek Voyager starts. You have yeah. this screen crawl that sets up the the Maquis storyline. Yeah. And it says, says Federation colonists along the Cardassian border, um, unhappy with the treaty, they banded together to fight the Cardassians. I, I know I screwed up that, that wording, and forgive me. Um, but Never. we have this screen gra- this screen crawl just explaining the situation when the screen crawl finishes two ships fly from across the screen and start shooting back and forth at each other and it is like that's star wars right there that's how star wars starts right right and so i just think that's kind of interesting that star trek chose to do that chose to just use this technique that is so blatantly star wars to open this show which well, the show that they were planning on being their new flagship show, right? Because the next generation had just ended and Deep Space Nine was never going to be the flagship show for Star Trek. Which is kind of disappointing since DS9 came before Voyager. You would think that there had been more confidence with the show having been on the air for a year and a half to two years prior to Voyager dropping. Especially... With Voyager being, you know, the the premier show, the flagship show of the new uh, United Paramount Network, UPN for short. Yeah, that was. That was UPN. It just started, and they were using Voyager as the show to yeah. be their, their highlight. Yeah. David Fogel would, would certainly appreciate the whole um, opening crawl thing there on that, that pilot episode of, of Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. And then, and then, it's kind of accepted as a fact in the story. I think I even said this earlier on this episode that the first season or two of Star Trek shows are not very good. Right. Right. I think you go to the first season of 
the next generation and there's it's some rough. good episodes there's some good episodes in there don't get me wrong there's some hidden gems that you can find in there but there's a lot of bad episodes in that first season and i know you're going to talk with your 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 other guest about the, the the first couple episodes of the next generation coming up and the episodes that you're probably planning on talking about are probably not the good ones <laughs> probably <laughs> and then and then deep space 9 Right, it's first season, like I said, is pretty pretty awful, pretty unwatchable. But I feel like Star Trek Voyager has a really strong first season. Right? Outside of the original series, Star Trek Voyager has the best first season of any Star Trek show. And I feel like that first season is very very strong. And I said this the last time I was on the podcast, and I think that's because Star Trek Voyager knew what it was right from the very beginning. Whereas The Next Generation had to figure itself out. What are we going to be? Are we just going to remake the original series episodes 100 years later? Or are we going to try and do something else? And then Deep Space Nine is, well, we're on a spaceship. We're not not, not on a spaceship. We're on a space station, not a spaceship. And so people have to come to us. And so there's this different dynamic and it had to figure it had to figure itself out but voyager knew what it was right from the very beginning it knew that we're essentially going to be you know this bad guy of the week or plot device of the week and we're not going to create these serialized stories and we're going to travel along this path and it knew what it was and i think it's season one really really benefits from that more so than any other show previous right and and to your point uh, with what you're saying with next gen like are we just gonna recycle and and do this stuff like they had this issue of like well what do we do like this isn't kirk's enterprise anymore it's an enterprise but are we gonna be like kirk we we different from kirk how different are we gonna be from kirk um, and then same thing, like with Deep Space Nine, like, well, Next Generation's like wildly successful. How are we ever going to compete with them? And yeah, right. Like there was there was this this tension of trying to figure out who are we, and you see you you can see that struggle. Um, like I was saying, the first two to two and a half seasons of these shows, um, I, I think I mentioned it either with you or with someone else that. I feel like that Deep Space Nine really took off at around the middle mark of of season three. And, 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 and I I don't think you have to wait that long. For me, for for me, that was just my experience. But generally speaking, the first like you like we were saying, like the first two ish seasons are tough because they're finding their footing. But yes, to your point, Voyager does a does a good enough job in determining who they are as a show to not have to worry about the growing pains as much as the past series had. And I think it also benefits from the fact that you have seven seasons of The Next Generation and two seasons of Deep Space Nine where you've been able to write Star Trek for nine seasons. And you've had, like, Rick Berman he's got a firm grasp on what he wants to do with Star Trek and all of these writers that have been on these shows, you have a good knowledge of the universe and you've been writing Star Trek 
for a long enough period of time where you don't have as many growing pains right away. Right. And Rick Berman himself, I mean, he worked very intimately with Gene Roddenberry in lore crafting and understanding the lore and the world of of the 24th uh, century that they were writing for. So, you know, nine years, nine, ten-ish years of writing it and knowing what the creator wanted even after the creator died is a testament to the world that they continued to build, you know, years after Gene Roddenberry passed away. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think Rick Berman knew what he was doing and what he wanted to do, and he had had lots of time when he got to Voyager. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you know, that's... You know, we... we We've talked about the first two seasons-ish, kind of, um, in a cursory kind of way, um, and there there are a lot of really good moments, um, even in, in, I know we were just talking about season one, but season two, season three, and so on and so forth, um, and one thing to watch, and again, I'm jumping right now I'm going through a transwarp you know corridor right now conduit type of thing right now um, is the EMH doctor I loved what they did with with the doctor in Voyager um, in the sense that not human spoilers not a human he's a hologram and he's the doctor so it's a total nod to all you Doctor Who fans out there just being called the doctor so uh, Robert Picardo uh, some of you might know him. Um, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that he's been on, but um, for other other sci-fi shows that you might be aware of, he played uh, Wolsey on Stargate SG One. The um, entire Stargate universe, because then he went on Atlantis yes. as well. Yes, which I was about to get to. Yeah, he later he later uh, went to Atlantis and he led the show uh, for about a season, I believe. The fifth and final season. Yeah. he was in charge of Atlantis. Yeah. After uh, Amanda Tapping's um, Colonel Carter uh, left, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. So, a lot of great moments, and there are a few moments I'm going to want to highlight before we end this particular episode. Um, But apart from that, um, you know, season three onward, we get even more development with the crew and the characters. Um, some leave, some come back. Um, so I'm happy to continue trucking right along, talking about these seasons yeah. as much yeah. as you oh, want yeah. to. Oh, yeah. The Doctor is, objectively speaking, the Doctor is the best character on the show. I mean, I know there other people can have their favorites, but I feel like if you want to be really objective, you're going to come back to the Doctor being the best character on the show. And I think that that stems from first Robert Picardo is a fantastic actor but I feel like the growth that you see in this doctor character from the pilot episode where they activate him and he's like this super arrogant no bedside manner at all Mm -hmm. to really becoming like does it even matter that he's a hologram by the end of the show right right and just track that growth over the entire course of Voyager is just fantastic. Yeah. And 
you know, especially later on in the show when he gets this new piece of technology, the mobile emitter, I really feel like that was like just an opportunity or that just that just created exponential growth for him for obvious reasons. I mean, you're a hologram. You can only stay where there's, you know, holographic, you know, emitters and a holodeck type of thing. But I, I loved the addition of of the, the mobile emitter and what that and what room that gave Robert Ricardo as an actor to do with his character. Oh, yeah, yeah. They introduced that mobile emitter halfway through season three. Yes. There's that episode, Future's End, where they go yep. back in time. They go back in time to get the mobile emitter, which is future technology. Right. Right. Which Future's, future's End is actually one, one story that I could watch a gazillion and a half times. I love that episode of Voyager, that particular story of Voyager. That two-part episode, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. Guest spot by Sarah Silverman. Before she was big, really. I mean, like, early, early on in her career. Yep. Yeah, but yeah, adding that mobile emitter really allowed the Doctor to become an actual member of the crew. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and it really allowed the storylines involving him to take off. It definitely did. Yes. And I think that was a very smart decision. I think it was interesting in the beginning... Where you have this doctor who is confined to essentially the the sick bay and then the holodeck, and that's an interesting idea in the beginning of the show, but it had to move past that, right? You had to allow him room to grow, right? Even as a hologram, you had to allow him room to grow, right? Correct. And there there are so many good doctor centric episodes. Um, was that's the episode where the doctor creates a, a family on the holodeck, right? And where he's off duty, he transfers himself to the holodeck, and he has like a wife and two kids, mm-hmm. and it's really like he programs that it. it's like super idyllic and like leave it to Beaver style, where everyone, right. like, everything everything always goes well, and he invites uh, Balana and Cass to come to come with him, and they're like, that is not real. And they like, mm-hmm. reprogram it to like be more realistic, and you get to see how like he really interacts. There's a touching moment at the end where his daughter dies in that episode, right? It's a really touching moment. It gives Robert Picardo a chance to shine as this doctor, like growing these emotions. Really fantastic doctor-centric episode. Yeah, yeah. And there's um, <sighs> Jen is gonna kill me for not remembering this, so you better save me, Eric. There's um, an episode where the time time is moving different for a planet, and they they beam the doctor down with the mobile emitter, of course, um, to basically observe. And like I think it's like ten seconds is like a hundred years or a thousand years or something like that. Um, and Voyager is watching the planet just evolve over the course of like. A minute, basically. Um, is any of this jumping out at you? No, no. I knew exactly what episode you were talking about right when you said it. It's called Blink of an Eye. There we go. I'm looking up what season it was in. It's in season six. I okay. wasn't sure if it was in season five or season six. But yeah, Blink of an Eye. It's actually, if you go to IMDb, that's the highest rated episode of the entire show. Interesting. Yeah. 
Interesting. So knowing knowing that it's the highest rated, what do you think it is about that particular episode that that gave room for it to be the highest rated episode? Well, I feel like that episode has almost everything that epitomizes Star Trek to me. Okay. Right? It has exploration, science, technology. There's diplomacy thrown in at the end, or even not just at the end, throughout the whole thing where where you see like the people on the planet, they're trying to send a letter to the skyship, right? And the one regional leader says, I demand that you leave us alone and stop these problems. And his scribe is like, you demand? Like, are you sure that's the right word you want to use? <laughs> so there's like diplomacy thrown in there. And then at the end where they have, the planet has like evolved past Voyager, right? They've gone far enough into the future because time is traveling fast enough for them where they're just like, hey, we're just going to blow this thing up and shoot it out of the sky. But they managed to, right, that planet managed to send this emissary, who's Daniel Day Kim, is the guest actor who plays that emissary. You'll know Daniel Day Kim from Lost and Hawaii Five-0. Right? He's the emissary that they send, Absolutely. and he's like, and he goes back and tells his people, like, don't blow this ship out of the sky. They don't mean this. They're stuck here. And I just think that's just a good episode. Like, it's just got a good premise, and it's got everything that you can want from Star Trek science, technology, exploration, diplomacy. Mm-hmm. It's just a good episode. So. So that's that's one that stands out to me, even though I can't remember the episode. So I'm going to lean on you remembering episode names because anyway. that one's called Blink of an Eye. Which yeah, I got that. I got that. And um, just anything where the Doctor is dreaming, like especially like specifically the ECH episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that episode that you're thinking of, it's called. Tinker Taylor Doc- Doctor Spy, yeah. Yeah. Like a play on the John Le Carre novel. Yes. Tinker so Taylor Soldier Spy. I remember so I remember watching that episode. So it was it was at the apartment that I lived in, not too far from your old house, there in Grand Blank, Michigan. And I was watching it on my old desktop computer and it was like close to midnight maybe one in the morning it was like a friday so i didn't it was the weekend basically and i remember just losing it i i I friggin lost it whenever i saw um him say um or, or, or it was basically said like activate the emergency command hologram and then like his uniform like the changes. Pips, the pips yeah, fly like, on his. Yeah, it, I was like losing it. I was like, oh my god, this is so friggin cool. And I was I was just like totally nerding out and fanboying and everything, and I, I loved it. And then, and then like it just like changes, and it's like, oh man, really? Yeah. And then it's a dream. Yeah. And then yeah. at one point they have to like, there's that alien race that's spying on the Voyager. And they think that the doctor's dreams are real, right? Right. And and Janeway. And so then I, they have to pretend that the the emergency command hologram is real, right? And and Janeway actually gives the command, 
to allow programming to take place to allow for you know this sort of thing to happen to where that he could take command of Voyager if necessary and we later find out that that can become a reality later on yeah that's a funny episode definitely and he's like activate the photonic cannon <laughs> and the other we're not showing any uh, any weapon systems activated. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good. It's a funny episode. Yeah. Absolutely. But yeah, um, the Doctor was was a character that I didn't care too much for at the beginning, but he definitely grew on me, for sure. And I think of the characters that. I think Chakotay ended up being like next to the Doctor, of course. Chakotay ended up being, I think, one of my more favorite characters of the show. See, I feel like I liked Chakotay early on. I mean, I said that earlier here in this podcast that I feel like they really used him, and he was a strong character early on, right? Where he was standing up to Janeway and wanted the crew to be integrated, and then the Seska storyline is essentially the Chakotay storyline as well. Mm-hmm. But I feel like after that, he really is underutilized. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like they didn't know what to do with him. And whenever they decided to do with him, it was always just your stereotypical Indian vision quest. Yeah. And I feel uh, like like it was just like you've got this character, but you just don't know what to do. There was an episode, and I might be getting characters mixed up, but... I'm like 98.5% sure that it was a Chakotay-centric episode where there was these like warring factions on a planet and Chakotay got kind of engulfed in it. I'm pretty sure it was Chakotay. And come to find out, it was all just one big farce. Right, it was a simulation. Yeah. Uh, the episode is called, it's called Nemesis. Yep. Right, it's in season four. Early and on that, in season four. And that was one of my more favorite Chicote episodes for whatever reason. I enjoyed the, the the psychological aspect of what they were doing with the character and just the perspective in general as it comes to like war and conflict and you know seeing two sides of the same coin, so to speak. No, it's definitely a good philosophical philosophical statement which i think is another thing that star trek does very well as it presents these these philosophical dilemmas and chakotay has a really great line at the end of that episode where like the whole entire episode he's basically being brainwashed to fight for one side in this war mm-hmm. and hate the other side but then at the end you learn that really like the opposite is true of everything he's known the whole time the aliens that he's been brainwashed to hate are supposedly the good guys. I put good guys in air quotes again. Right. And at the end of the show, he says to one of them, it's a lot harder to learn to hate than it is to learn to be accepting or something something like that. I'm right. mistaking the quote, but he says something to that effect right at the very end of the episode. And I think that's a, a really interesting philosophical situation that Star Trek can pose and I think that's what it does very well. Right, it can it can 
you know, flip the script just like that, basically, when it, when it comes to like getting trying to get you to think about an issue or, or some kind of premise that that you really should be thinking about um, more deeply rather than surface level, of course. And, and good sci-fi does that, in my opinion. That's that's I think that's the purpose of science fiction is to pose ideas like that. Yeah. So we got to talk about a character, okay? And this might frustrate some people, but we got to talk about this. Ensign Harry Kim, forever Ensign Harry Kim. What's up with that, man? I mean, well, well, do you know what the very first scene that Harry Kim is in? Do you know? Do you remember the very first scene in the entire show that we see Harry Kim? Do you remember what happens? I can't for the life of me know. So Voyager on their when they set on their mission, they leave from Deep Space Nine. Oh, that's right. He's talking with Quark. He's talking with Quark. Yeah, he's talking Quark, with Quark. Yeah. Quark is trying to swindle him, right? He's right. trying to run his game and swindle him. And he's like and Harry Kim's like they warned us about the Ferengi at the Academy. And Quark was like, Oh, oh, what do you mean they warned you about the Ferengi? Like, and then <laughs> Tom Paris comes in to save Harry Kim. It's like, wait, didn't they warn you about the Ferengi at the Academy? <laughs> yeah. I just think it's like a, a really like cool moment. Like, and it shows like the true naivety of this character. Right. Right. At the very beginning. And, and you know, that's Harry Kim. He was always the naive guy, but he was always the optimist as well, right? Every time there was a chance to get home, he was so optimistic. And I feel like the show needed that character, that optimistic person there. I think the thing that I didn't have much of an issue with <clears throat> with Harry, it's the fact that pretty much everyone... And I, I say everyone very loosely around him would get promoted. I mean, Paris was give reactivated with his old rank, and then he was demoted, and then promoted again. Tuvok got a promotion. Um, there were other people I'm pretty sure that got promotions, and Harry for seven years, really, really for seventy years, but then shortened to seven years, didn't get promoted. Yeah, and there's even the the show even mentions that there's an episode in season seven. It's called Nightingale, yep. where Harry Kim uh, goes on and it's his the the first mission that he's ever led by himself. Like, how is it season seven that one of your senior officers has never led a mission? But he's like, don't send Chicote along, don't send Tom Paris along, don't send anybody along, because if they're along, they'll be in charge of the mission, and I want this to be my mission. And he even says to Janeway, if we were in the Alpha Quadrant, I'd be a lieutenant by now. Maybe even a lieutenant commander. And and to be fair, like if you think about like real-life ranks, I mean, I know your brother served our, our nation as an officer in the Army. And, you know, regardless of what branch you're in, there, when you're an officer, like right out of either the academy or an ROTC program or an OCS program, you can expect to be an O3 pretty much within four years. Yeah, pretty yeah. Much. It's, you, you're not going to be an ensign for that long. No, you're going to go from being an ensign or a second lieutenant to being a 
a lieutenant junior grade or a first lieutenant within two years of initial commissioning, and then another promotion two years after that. Now, once you're once you're at that O three, once you're a lieutenant, which would be uh, in the Navy, which is what Star Trek adopts as the naval ranks, the naval officer ranks, you're looking at going from lieutenant to lieutenant commander, maybe in like another five years. So, like, the ranks are going to space out from time from. Go back to the next generation, and we'll talk about the next generation. In season one, Jordy is a yes. Lieutenant JG. Lieutenant JG. He's got one solid, one black pip. Yep. Season two, Jordy is Lieutenant Fulgrade, two solid pips. Mm-hmm. Then in season three, Jordy's a Lieutenant Commander. Right. So Jordy got promoted twice in a year, or two mm-hmm. years, right? And then Worf, right, is a Lieutenant JG when the show starts. Right. I forget exactly when Worf becomes full grade lieutenant. It might be season three. It might be season four. I'm not exactly sure. See, I thought, I thought Worf went from a lieutenant JG in season one to becoming a lieutenant in season two when he became the security chief following Tasha, and then it wasn't until generations that he becomes a lieutenant commander well i know it's generations where he becomes a lieutenant commander that's like the opening scene of the next right. generation crew not the opening scene of the movie it's the opening right. scene of the next generation crew where they're doing the the promotion ceremony on the old on the holodeck on the old naval vessel great scene by the way loved it yeah but i i think it might be until season three that Worf becomes a full grade lieutenant but I don't think it's right when he becomes the security chief. I'll have to go back and look at this. Yeah, we'll have to double check that. But um, but re- regardless, everyone on every other show is getting promoted faster than Harry Kim. There's even that episode of The Next Generation called Lower Decks. Do you remember this episode of The Next I Generation do. Lower Decks? I do. It follows the, the junior officers. Mm-hmm. And there's that one like really bad junior officer that like this guy's like, Riker hates me. He just hates me. And then, uh, but he still gets promoted from Ensign to Lieutenant JG in that episode. Right. Right. Well, he thinks he gets promoted only because the one other person, you know, end up dying in that mission. <gasps> I know. Spoilers. I'm sorry, but these Eric, are like said. Eric, you're 25 spoiling. years. 25 you're years. Spoiling Star Trek, dude. I know. 25 years like (laughs) it'd be one thing if I came on here and talked about like season 2 of Discovery I feel like the statute of limitations on spoilers is still in effect yeah yeah maybe yeah okay why not but yeah Harry Kim never gets promoted no and I think I think the reason why I mean, there's the in, there's no in-show reason for him not to be promoted. But I think the real reason is the producers didn't like Garrett Wang, the actor. Interesting. Because I, I'm fairly certain this is the story, that when Kess leaves the show in season four, the original plan was to have Harry Kim leave the show somehow. There's going to be some kind of storyline. But Garrett Wang, the actor, 
was named one of the most beautiful or sexiest people by one of those magazines. Right. It does something like that. And the show producers felt like they couldn't fire the actor at that point after he had just been named one of the most beautiful or sexist people, whatever, whatever the hell the title was. Yeah. There was a panel that, um, I found it on YouTube. Um, I remember the story that you're talking about. Yeah. The, the, there was like trying to figure out like what to do, like with the cast thing and kind of like reviving and, you know, breathing some new life into the show. And that's kind of how like Jerry Ryan kind of came about, which created its own set of problems like on set with um, between her and Kate Mulgrew. Um, but yeah, like I, I remember that panel when he was talking about that and also like some of the strife that was going on between, like I said, Jerry Ryan and Kate Mulgrew, starting with season four onward of Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the behind the season reason like like you said there is no in-show reason for him not to have been promoted because like you said tom paris was lieutenant jg got demoted and then re-promoted right tuvok got promoted from lieutenant to lieutenant commander and i'm sure there were probably others that happened along the way as well right right and i remember reading this i don't know if you noticed this or if you were aware of it but there was a point in the show where they more or less dropped the formality of saying lieutenant or commander so-and-so or ensign so-and-so, and they just started saying each other's first names. But the only person that the formality was in line for was the captain. So were you aware of that little tidbit? No, I, I guess I never noticed that. Yeah, yeah, it makes would, sense. It makes sense. That if you're on this ship, you know, in this particular situation, some sense of formality would be dropped. Right. Right. So, yeah, I'm going to, that's something I'm going to have to like double check myself. And that's, I mean, that's going to require an entire rewatch of Voyager to kind of prove that. But hey, whatever. Why not? <laughs> hey, you know, I don't have a problem rewatching the whole thing. Me either. Me either. I love Star Trek. I mean, kind of. I love Star Trek too. Kind of obvious, right? Kind of obvious. We're kind of doing a Star Trek podcast, guys. I don't know if y'all knew that. Anyway. So, so, you just mentioned Jerry Ryan. I did. I feel like I feel like we've put this off long enough. Okay, let's let's bring it on. I feel like we've got to get to the Borg, don't we? Mm-hmm. So I feel like. Just like you can't talk about Voyager without talking about the Kazon, you definitely can't talk about Voyager without talking about the Borg. Right. All right, so there's an episode. Or it's a two-part episode uh, called Scorpion that we start to really take a deep dive. We really do take a deep dive into the Borg um, as a species, and that's where Jerry Ryan, um, character seven of nine of Unimatrix zero one, if I'm not mistaken, comes from. Short, just call her seven for short. And uh, Annika Hansen is her her human name, um, related to an Admiral Hansen, if I'm not mistaken. And anyways, Jerry Ryan's character was brought on board because Kess was was leaving, um, or the character. Uh, 
the character of Kess was was leaving the ship, and they also kind of wanted to breathe new life into it, and they kind of had this whole sex appeal thing that was going on that Kate Mulgrew was very much against um, because she wanted there to be like just more respect of women in general. It's kind of painting with broad strokes with that in terms of like her feelings and this was like the complete antithesis of it with Jerry Ryan coming on board and that's the very short version so with that we had the Borg introduced in the next generation they became the true main baddies for that show and then of course we saw them again in 1996 first contact again the big baddie there so now we're in their home territory of the Delta Quadrant so of course we're going to run into them and with that um, I want to hear some of your perspectives, some of your likes, dislikes, and whatever else you want to talk about when it comes to the Borg, Eric. Okay, so the Borg get introduced here in Voyager. It's the end of Season 3, beginning of Season 4, which is the exact same point in time that the Best of Both Worlds happens. Correct. Right, And that's totally on purpose. And I absolutely agree with the point that they wanted to sex appeal to show up i think don't think anybody can question that or deny that that's what they were trying to do right it's very obvious i mean jerry ryan is a very beautiful woman and they highlighted her assets yes quite literally yes they highlighted them and it created a lot of tension on set between her and kate mulgrew and if i'm kate mulgrew i have every reason to be upset because once seven of nine comes on board the show she becomes the main character and almost all of the story revolves around her and so if you're Kate Mulgrew you're stole your show was stolen away from you for the lowest common denominator and that did create a lot of tension I that's been reported by many different cast members. You mentioned Garrett Wang was talking about that. I remember hearing Robert Beltran talk about that as well. Like that created a lot of tension on the set between the two of them. And to be, but but to be fair to that too, and I don't think you disagree with this, Eric. I mean, you've written for the same characters for you know three, four years up to this point, and you get an opportunity to create brand new stuff the sky's the limit for this brand new character it only makes sense that there would be more focus on her because like it's revitalizing you know just the cast in general i agree that that you've got this new character and you want to write new story for her and that can breathe new life into the show but everything doesn't have to be about her agreed agreed i mean we the captain you know, is the the person playing the captain is the one that needs to get the meatiest stuff a good chunk of the time. Not all the time, because it's an ensemble cast. But there needs to be a good chunk of good stuff thrown to the captain and focus on the captain more than just the rest of the bridge bridge officers and principal cast, of course. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, for the most part, I would agree that you've got an ensemble show, so you don't have to have every storyline revolve around the captain, but the captain should be where your main focus is. Right. Except if you're Discovery, and your main character is not your captain. 
<laughs> okay, but that's that's neither here nor there. Or is it? It's not. That's not the point okay. that I'm trying to make here. Um, <laughs> so that's Jerry Ryan. But let's talk about the Borg. So this episode, Scorpion. If you were to ask the casual Star Trek fan, somebody's probably not listening to this podcast, or maybe maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But the casual, what's the best episode of Star Trek Voyager? And I would say 75% of the people are going to say Scorpion. Or maybe not 75%, but it's going to be the most popular answer for what's the best episode of Star Trek Voyager. They're going to say this episode, Scorpion. Would you agree with that? Maybe. I might say either like a timeless. I might even. Timeless is the best. Timeless is the correct answer. I'd say I would say that or Endgame, but timeless is up there for me endgame is not even one of the 50 best episodes we'll get to that we'll get to that but timeless but anyways like we can agree on timeless we can agree on timeless but we'll also agree that scorpion will be very high on the list of of most people's best episodes sure right and and i'm not saying it's not a good episode because it is hey i mean i think it is a very good episode it's the first time we ever see more than one Borg cube on screen at a time. Because in every episode that we saw up until that point, right? Q-Who, Best of Both Worlds, and in the movie First Contact, it was only one Borg cube. Right, and then we saw the sphere inside the cube. Yeah, but, but then yeah. you go you go to Scorpion here and you see more than one Borg cube right. on the screen at the same time. And the teaser for this episode is very short. It's the Borg cube coming up and saying, we're the Borg, resistance is futile, you'll be assimilated. And then, boom, the ship being shot at and blown up. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who the hell can blow up a Borg ship? Who the hell can blow up a Borg ship? And so it creates this really interesting story of, like, well, the Borg are supposed to be the most powerful people out there, and if somebody can just blow up a Borg ship like this, right. we're in trouble. Either either this is an ally, or we're in trouble. Right. Right. Right, and it's it's a, it's a very interesting episode, and I know people like to criticize it for like, oh, Janeway, she gave weapons of mass disruption to the weapons of mass destruction to the Borg, but she wouldn't give transporters or replicators to the Kazon, what gives? And I think that's very oversimplifying what's actually happening in this episode. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Giving the Borg you know, nanoprobe technology is not going to seriously alter the balance of power, but giving the Kazon replicators and, and transporters could alter the balance of power because those races are so technologically far behind. Right, and you got to think that even the Borg, they still, I mean, they were using nanoprobes. I mean, that's part of how they do what they do. So it's it's not like it really would have advanced much to what, you know, just agreeing with what you're saying in terms of, like, the balance of, of stuff and, like, what's going on in the moment for these these events, these these entanglements that they become aware, become a part of um, in these different episodes and these different storylines. Yeah, that's. I would agree with that. So, so, 
you're saying yeah you're saying that scorpion is probably the most popular because jerry ryan i'm gonna go well, out she, doesn't even, she doesn't even show up until part two the, the very end yeah one. no yeah yeah she's in part two she's not in part one but it's pro- it's it's more popular by virtue of it's the borg and we're, we're finally seeing the borg again we haven't seen him in a minute mm-hmm. um well that episode premiered in what 97 97 or 8 yeah i mean that's that's end of season 3 end of season 3 so i'm just so that- trying to think where is that in relation okay yeah so may of 97 and first contact came out in november december of 96 so we're six months later yes okay yeah and the borg have always been the most popular star trek baddie right and without just kind of coming out of voyager for a second that's one thing that i'm a little nervous about when it comes to picard knowing that we're uh, we're right at a month pretty much away from it premiering and knowing that the Borg are going to be a central part of the story even though we haven't apart from like a little one-off kind of thing in Star Trek Enterprise which is for a different episode altogether we haven't really seen much of the Borg since first contact or, or I'm sorry since like Scorpion and, and Endgame and, and just the Voyager era in general. And we, we've seen them in the comics. They show up in Star Trek Online. And I just worry that if we keep coming back to them, we're going to overuse them and we're going to kind of wear out their welcome, which I think Voyager really started to do the, the farther along it went once Jerry Ryan's character was introduced and the Borg were introduced into Star Trek Voyager. And I would agree with that. And I think that becomes Voyager's fatal flaw to me. Is, is the overuse of the Borg. Overuse of the Borg. Absolutely. Okay. Right? It becomes when we first are introduced to the Borg in Q Who, yeah. Picard has to plead with Q. Like Picard is literally begging Q to save them from the Borg. And you are like terrified. And then we get into the best of both worlds, and they assimilate Picard, and they basically destroy the entire fleet, and and almost everything is destroyed. And it's like, wow, these guys are like super bad, and we we're just defeating them basically by luck, right? And in First Contact, it's again one cube, and they almost you know change Earth's entire history, and then when you start to have the Borg show up more and more, you have to defeat them. You can't lose to them all the time. But the more times you defeat them, it's like the law of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. You keep defeating them, and you're not afraid of them anymore. I remember you told a story, um, and you said you went to Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas... Yes. And they had like a they had like a Borg part of it where you could yes. like walk through there and you knew it was just guys in costumes, but you said you were terrified and you felt like you were gonna be assimilated. I yeah, true story. Yeah, and, and I feel like 
the more you have the Borg show up. And I feel like you should be terrified of the Borg. That's the point of the Borg. Yeah. But the more you have them show up, and the more you defeat them, the less scary they become. And I feel like that's a fatal flaw that Voyager has. And that's the thing when it came to Species 8472, that I feel like they kind of took the terror that the Borg originally had when it came to, you know, just Starfleet and just whatever crew that would be interacting with the Borg. I feel like that was the terror. The terror that was originally with the Borg got transferred to that that new species, 8472, that we were introduced to as, like, the main baddie, the main enemy of the Borg. Yeah, but then very, very shortly after that, we make peace with species 8472. There's that episode where they um, create that fake Starfleet Academy. Mm-hmm. Right? And then at the end of that episode... I enjoyed episode, that episode, too. No, I enjoyed that episode. It's called In the Flesh from Season 5. Um, but they make peace with Species 8472 at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, th- that terror, that big bad guy is like gone at that point, And it gets put back onto the Borg. Yeah. And, and the thing, I guess the thing that kind of didn't make much sense, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely jumping the timeline, Eric, um, but like, you know, in, in First Contact, we're introduced to the idea of the Borg Queen, and then much later on in Voyager, we come in contact with the Borg Queen again, and... And I'm just, I'm so confused by that. Like, are we dealing with some, some like, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff? Like, why are we getting Alice uh, Krieger or Kriege, or how you pronounce her last name, over and over again, if she was already destroyed? Well, but it, it's Alice Krieg. Is the, I pronounce it Krieg. But also, the act, the actress changes there at one point to a different actress. They, I think they bounce between two different ones. Yeah. Susanna Thompson, I believe, is the other actress's name. But I feel like, you know, First Contact, that Borg Queen is in the past, so you could, you could like, get a new Borg Queen. But the Borg Queen is really an anachronism. It really doesn't make sense if you think about it. And I'm sure you know this because, you know, you love First Contact, but they weren't originally going to have a Borg Queen. Correct. Right? Ronald D. Moore, like I mentioned his name earlier in this. Right created the board queen basically out of necessity because you couldn't have the characters just interact with like the collective conscious voice they needed an actual person to interact with out of necessity yeah and so she really doesn't make sense when you think about it but i mean it's still it's still a fun concept i mean just it yeah but but apart from that, like, you know, you're talking about um, Law of Diminishing Returns and the fact that one of the weaknesses of Voyager, despite it being a very enjoyable show, I know not everyone loves Voyager and that's totally fine, but for it being an enjoyable show and what it is, um, you know, once they started doing more and explaining more about the Borg and bringing him back and, you know, hitting him where it hurts time and time again it really weakened the character 
uh, the character species of the Borg. And um, I, I just, I, I didn't need to know about like these other characters. I mean, I know that I've, <laughs> I was tweeting um, the, the actor that plays Ichev and I, I did enjoy some of that, but like the more you explain the lore of, of like a big baddie, the less terrifying they become. Like, do, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I actually like the Ichev storyline. The whole I did too. The where they encounter the the bored children, right? Mm-hmm. That can't fully assimilate everything, and then when we get the follow up with Ichev's family, I think that's a fantastic episode, right? But I, I think I understand what you're saying that sometimes having the bad guy just be like unknown makes them a bigger bad guy. Right. I mean, like let's let's just jump fandom for just a second, okay? Without me spoiling anything. So, like, you look at the sequel trilogy of Star Wars with Snoke. You you're wondering who the devil is Snoke, and like there's this mystery about him, and like what is he going to do? And you, you kind of think you know who he is by the time Last Jedi comes around, maybe, and you, yet you still don't. But like part of what made Snoke so terrifying is you, in my opinion at least, is you didn't know who he was. And I know that's a totally different fandom, but just for the sake of the example and kind of what I'm getting at, that's the first thing that comes to mind is just, I wish there was more of an, un- I wish there was still a mystery, more of a mystery with the Borg um, kind of like there was with 8472 um, in Voyager. Just my two cents. I agree with that. I agree with that. I think you can say the same thing if you jump fandoms again and go to Game of Thrones. Sure. You have the, the Night King. He's a terrifying character when we first see him. And then by the end... Okay, I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't seen Game of Thrones. I don't find him very terrifying at the end but when we were first introduced to him he was because there was this presence and this mystery around him yeah and and the 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 others or the watchers you know whatever you want to call them depending on if you're you know reading the book or or whatever i mean they're they're, they are terrifying and when you start to explain something about like your enemy it just it doesn't have the same punch to it as it used to. Yeah, um, and when when you constantly defeat them, it also doesn't have the same punch. Right. 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 I mean, uh, the episode Unimatrix Zero, which again I don't care for that episode. I know it's a it's a very popular episode. It's pretty highly rated, um, but Janeway is able to outsmart the Borg Queen fairly easily in that episode. Same thing with the episode Endgame, which I, we could spend two hours of me tearing apart and ripping <laughs> apart that episode because I absolutely hate that episode Endgame. I, like okay. I said, I know that's a very popular episode, but Janeway, future Janeway, and you could say, well, she's from the future, which is why she can do this, but no, she makes the Borg Queen look like a fool, and I don't want the Borg to be made fools of because... At that point, I'm no longer afraid of them, and I feel like we should be afraid of the Borg. Yeah, the Borg are is a species, um, but both as a species and just I guess as a character in general, 
they seem to be the ones that should be two steps ahead of what you're going to do. At and least. I feel like they are, like, until we get to later Voyager. Yeah. So for anyone that loves the Borg... I don't hate all of the Voyager Borg storylines. Like, there's that episode Dark Frontier, mm-hmm. which is a Explorer's Seven of Nine's past. It's like it flashes back to her parents tracking the Borg. And I think that's a really good episode. Sure. And like the, the I said, the Egypt storyline, I think that's a good episode. So there is some stuff there dealing with the Borg that I actually do like. And I like the episode Scorpion. Mm-hmm. It's just when you keep doing them like the like those two episodes Unimatrix Zero and Endgame I'm not a fan of either one of those episodes gotcha okay so you know we've we've talked a lot about uh, like the seasons and like the enemies we've talked about some of the principal cast and we've mainly focused on like some favorite moments of the Doctor by and large um there have been some other big name um, folks um, that have been on Voyager um, that you know listeners may or may not be aware of. Uh, two that come to mind immediately, and you might know others, Eric. Um, John Rhys Davies, who plays uh, Leonardo da Vinci in the Holodeck um, episodes with um, Catherine Janeway towards the end, uh, middle to end of the series. And then, of course, there is a pre-famous or kind of a pre-famous uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson when he was still known as the Rock in an episode called in an episode called uh, Sukanse if I'm pronouncing it right and he was just called the 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 champion um, the champion I think it was just his character name that Jerry Ryan's seven of nine had to wrestle and fight against yeah well uh, at that point at that point you know Voyager was on UPN. Mm-hmm. And UPN was the host of WWE SmackDown. So that's why The Rock, he was like the champion of WWE at the time. Or he maybe might not have been the champion, but he was one of the most popular performers out there in WWE. And they were on the same network. So it was just like, it was a way of cross-promotion. Hey, let's throw The Rock on this episode. Okay. See, I didn't watch WWE or WWF, whatever it was at that point. Yeah, and then Jonathan Reese. What was Jonathan Reese? Davies. Davies. I want. I was gonna say Myers, but that's different. That's a different actor. Jonathan Reese Davies. You'll also know him. He was Gimli. And Sala on Indiana Jones. Yep, and he was also on Sliders. He was yes. one of the main characters on Sliders. Yes. Right, and he shows up to play Leonardo da Vinci in two or three episodes. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, um, so, if I recall correctly, um, in that episode that I mentioned earlier, Nightingale, the 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 main guest actor, I don't know his name, was one of the main characters on Firefly. He played the Shepherd Book on Firefly. Oh, okay, okay. Right. I know okay. Firefly is a very popular science fiction show out there. Yes. Yes, it is. Now. We've, we've talked around some things. We've talked, like I said, we talked about the Kazon and the Borg as like probably the two main big bads of this series. And we've started talking a little bit about 
some some famous or more famous type uh, guest stars that have kind of been sprinkled in throughout. Now, I don't want to end this episode without making sure that we take the time to talk about Aaron Eisenberg, because um, I know that was something that was important to you. So I think now is a perfect time, or a semi-perfect time, I mean, we're past the Kazon, but we might as well just talk about him now um, and the role that he played in Star Trek Voyager. Okay, sure. Um, Aaron Eisenberg, you know, we know him as Nog. I, I don't know what his medical condition was, but, you know, you look at him and you, you see him as being like a younger person. You think of him as being right. younger, right? Like he and Jake Sisko were friends. And so you kind of think about them as the, being the same age. But Aaron Eisenberg was a lot older than the characters he than the character of Nog. He was 25, I think. 24, 25. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's because of his his small stature. Correct. Right. And so he shows up in an episode in early season 2 of Voyager playing a young Kazon. Again, he's playing like a younger character. And the Kazon take him or leave him, love him or hate him. I don't hate them, I don't love them. They were patterned after LA street gangs. Mhm. Right? That was what um Ma, uh, Michael Piller has come out and said that's what he patterned the Kazon after was these LA street gangs where they were all the same species but they didn't get along and they each controlled their own territory and uh, they had like initiation rituals right for young people that were joining these sects and these cells just like gangs have initiations and so Aaron Eisenberg plays a young Kazon who is sent on an initiation right and his initiation is to like basically kill an enemy i don't know if it's necessary to kill him i think it is but um so he goes out and chakotay is off on his standard vision quest which is like the only thing that the writers could think of for chakotay to do chakotay's off on a shuttle by himself and yeah aaron eisenberg's young kazon character attacks chakotay's shuttle and they both cra- end up crash landing on this planet, this barren planet. Right? And they're on this barren planet together, and Chakotay has no malice whatsoever for for Aaron Eisenberg's character. I cannot... I, there's no way I know what that character's name is. Um, but this guy, whole time, he's trying to, like, you're my prisoner, and I'm going to take you back, or I'm going to kill you. and And eventually, like... Chicote manages to soften him up. Yeah. And they yeah. end up working together. Very much like a Next Generation episode where Jordy and a Romulan are trapped on a planet together and they have to learn to work together. It's a great episode, too. Oh, that's season a great three. episode. Yeah, called The Enemy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's a similar premise to that episode. And and you were at you weren't too sure about what Aaron's uh, condition was. So Aaron was born with a partially functioning kidney. So at the age of seventeen, he got a kidney transplant. So um, ultimately, it was stuff related to to kidney complications. Okay, and that stunted his growth. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. 
So that's that's the the long and short of it um, when it comes to to the the health condition that was impacting him. Like I remember thinking, oh, you know, wow, he's just probably 13, 14 years old because of how short he was and and just everything like that. But then, you know, looking at Wikipedia and Star Trek, you know, and other places on the internet, learning about Aaron, like his Twitter and other socials and stuff like that, it's like, holy crap, he's he, he just died at 50. I mean, this Deep Space Nine came out in 93. Holy cow, like that was... 26 years ago. Holy cow, this dude was like 24. 23, 4, 5 when this show came out. And yet he's playing like a 12 or 13 year old like you were saying. and Just just absolutely wild. But he did, he did a fantastic job of course primarily on, on um, Deep Space Nine. I mean, that's where we primarily know him from. But of course, you know, with this this one guest role that he played um, as a member of, of the Kazon species um, in what you were describing. So I'm glad that we were able to make sure he was mentioned, um, especially for any anyone that does end up watching Deep Space Nine. You'll have a, an awareness to look for him in an early season of Voyager. Uh, while the Kazon are still around and doing their thing with the Voyager crew and, and terrorizing them and, and stuff, stuff like, like that. that. Yeah, it's it's season two, episode two. It's called Initiations. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we've been we've been talking um, a lot tonight about, like I said, Renee, um, as we open the show with, and we've spent a good chunk of time talking about uh, Voyager and the ups and downs and. Um, things like that and you know last time that we were talking um, I kind of asked you um, to speak generally about um, just Star Trek in general I believe and um, when it comes to Voyager knowing that you you were dedicated to watching the show as each episode came out what are some maybe final thoughts or, or advice or whatever you want to call it um, as we kind of start to wrap the show up in terms of encouraging people to check out Voyager.
you know, you, you talk about like picking up storylines, and there is a storyline that we do end up picking up from an entirely different series. And it's the episode False Prophets, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, where there was um, there was an episode of, of Next Gen, I think it's like early season three. Yeah, um, yeah season two or season three, I, yeah. Um, where there's this alleged stable wormhole that uh, folks are trying to bid on um, to see who's going to have rights for it and use of it and stuff like that. And the Ferengi get very upset that they weren't invited to it. And anyway, stuff happens, and Ferengi, like the these two Ferengi end up stuck and trapped in the Delta Quadrant. And we pick up on that in season three, I believe, of Voyager. False prophet. Yeah. Yeah. So we we see that we see that kind of come to a conclusion from something that was started a long time ago. Um, so that w- it was really cool to have like that thread tied up. I mean, especially if you're like the the inquisitive type, and you're wondering like, well, what the devil is going to happen to them? Like they're cut off from like their species and all this stuff. And then you watch the episode and you see what kind of shenanigans have happened. And it, it's an entertaining, like just a popcorn chewing, chewing episode. episode. Oh yeah, and and I like that about Voyager. It has those entertaining popcorn episodes. Yeah. Right. That you can you can play one of them. And then go to bed, or or I've got uh, forty five minutes before I gotta go to work, and you can mm-hmm. put on an episode, and and you can like just watch the one, you can be satisfied. Whereas yeah. I feel like Deep Space Nine, I'm gonna want to watch more than one episode. Sure, sure. So we kind of talked about it, and I know that you said Timeless is the best um, episode of a Voyager, potentially of all. Okay, so we're going to put Timeless to the side for just a second. Apart from Timeless, what's your favorite story? It can be a single episode or a two-part episode besides Timeless. I know, I just made that real hard for you. No, no. Um, I have an answer. Okay. And it's called Hope and Fear. Okay. It's the season four finale. Okay, um... This is another episode that has a great guest actor in it. It's got Ray Wise is the main guest actor. Mm-hmm. A, um, so Ray Wise, if you're familiar, he was on Twin Peaks. He played uh, Laura Palmer's father, the, the, the murder victim on Twin Peaks. He's been in a lot of things since then. Ray Wise, very, very famous, very popular actor, very successful. He's the main guest star. Okay. And so this is another episode that um, picks up like these, like the does this follow up that I've been talking about, where you know we have the episode Scorpion where Janeway gives this board techno this technology to the board to help them defeat species eight four seven two, but what happens in the aftermath of that? Do the board mm-hmm. become super powered or are the board content? The board are never content, right? But what happens after this this scene where now we've helped the Borg? It turns out the Borg went and used this technology to decimate a region of space that they had previously not been able to decimate. Right? And so this this Ray Wise, the 
the um, the actor. I've drawn a total blank on his character's name. Do you know what episode I'm talking about? Hope and fear. Vaguely, yeah. Okay, so this is the episode where they've started to receive transmissions from Starfleet. They managed to tap into some communications array to receive transmissions from Starfleet, and they meet this this character who their species they're like linguists and they can like decipher any oh yeah yeah any type yeah. of any type of language like almost instantly. And so he comes on board and he helps them try and recover some of this corrupted data file from Starfleet. And he and this data file leads them to this ship which with the quantum slipstream drive which is going to allow Voyager to get back home in like yes. a month or something. I like remember that. this. Yeah, a couple of days I think. Yeah, like very short period of time. And then you learn that this whole thing is a ruse and he is setting up Voyager to be taken back to the Borg and assimilated because the Borg assimilated all of his race after Janeway had helped them because, like, the Borg were never able, like, his species was always able to fend off the Borg Mm -hmm. until Janeway gave him this technology to help them out. And so this is, like, a really good follow-up, right? And you see, you know, maybe we're not, everything we're doing is not, you know, for the better. And there's maybe some negative impact to what's happening here. And I really just like that episode. Sure. And I've already said my favorite episode, and that's Future's End, Part 1 and 2. I have, I have specifically fired up my different streaming services, and just watched that. Like when I'm having just a, a crappy day or a less than stellar day, just, just because it it just to me represents good Star Trek, um, from 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 Voyager. So, um, so so that's the main thing. Now there are a lot more things about Voyager, not just Voyager, but like the other shows that we could spend hours upon hours talking about. Um, But I want to make sure that we have the time to do these other bits justice instead of just doing a one-off type of thing with it and never coming back to it. We're going to plant the seed and we're going to come back to it in a later season. How about that? like talking about the Delta Flyer, Bride of Chaotica, and the other like cult stuff. Like two and a half hours talking here, and we've mentioned Janeway like twice. <laughs> that wasn't intentional, I promise. <laughs> what well, what we're gonna do is we are gonna take um, deeper dives into the other characters like especially the captains like we'll do like we might even do like a a captain showdown type of thing and come up with like scenarios and how like you know Cisco and Janeway or or you know Janeway and Kirk might have handled a particular situation or whatever but I I want to there's so much to all these shows that just one episode on it isn't going to do it justice. Um, so we're definitely going to be talking, especially the folks listening to this, we're definitely going to be talking more about Janeway 
and the other captains. We're going to talk about some ship design stuff in the near, near future. I know that that came up in one of our last conversations we had, Eric, um, and just famous battles in general. So we're definitely going to talk about implications of like Battle Wolf, the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine, and other incursions and things that have come up, both you know, ma- mainly in the shows and movies, but. We might even talk about like books or comics or video games too, depending on how we feel about that. So, um, with that, we're gonna have to to head out of operations, and we're gonna have to like start making our way down to the the habitat ring here in the near, near future. So, um, any I know I kind of already asked you this, but any final final parting thoughts to the listeners? as we kind of put a pin um, or try and put a bow on um, this first visit as it relates to uh, Star Trek Voyager? I think I've pretty much said, like, why I like Voyager. You know, that that lost in space concept. This is our crew. And uh, this idea that it has so much watchability to me and i just i really enjoy that aspect of it absolutely and the thing i I really if you like music um i really enjoy the the opening um theme for voyager even the closing theme theme is the opening theme is way better than deep space nine's opening theme yeah you don't want to fall asleep with voyager's opening theme you don't want you don't want to have a little siesta um, but yeah, like the music, I like the music in it and like the, the music in between scenes is pretty much consistent with everything that you would experience from, you know, 1987 onward, uh, in terms of Star Trek television. So, um, anyways, we're going to pick up with this, um, much later on. So I want to thank, uh, my first officer, uh, Lieutenant Commander Christofferson for, um, taking care of the station for us and for coming back um, and having a conversation next time that we pick up um, you'll um, you'll have been hearing this and there'll be um, a new TRTV news that'll be dropping and um, in the near future we're going to be talking about the show Star Trek Enterprise we're also going to be hearing from Phil Seidel as he prepares to talk about the first few episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation now if um, if you haven't told a friend about this, please do. Share it. Just poke them. You know, bribe them if you need to. Just um, have them check it out. And um, there are multiple ways that you can get in contact with us. Uh, remember to open hailing frequencies, and you can um, get in, ta- in contact with us by entering in coordinates trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send a voice-only transmission by entering in coordinates 817-752-4757. That's 817-752-4757. Remember, you have a three-minute time limit, and your comments may be used on a future episode of These Are the Voyages. Now, if you want to send something to the station um, using some of our communication buoys um, that have been issued by Starfleet, you can um, also uh, send it to the Lone Star Station by entering in coordinates P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas, 76098. Thank you guys for listening today and um, going on this journey with Eric and I as we talk about 
um, this live action series called Star Trek Voyager. There are many more voyages ahead of us, and we are so grateful to have each and every one of you um, on board with us, both in the group and on all the socials. If you want to connect with us on those socials, make sure you check us out at TRTV Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and our Facebook page. If you find our Facebook page, you found the group, just like I said at the beginning, hit the button and it'll take you to the group. And um, apart from that, just supporting the show, you can do that by telling your friends and continuing to listen to give us a thumbs up, a like, and a comment on um, iTunes, like with our podcast, on Spotify, on Stitcher, Google Play, and um, anywhere else you might listen to podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon. There's special um, content just for patrons, and there are different um, financial levels and different rewards that you can um, take advantage of. So um, that's at patreon.com slash these are the voyages. Um, again, thank you so much for listening today, um, and always may you boldly go and make it so.